0: And welcome to the fifth and final episode of Media's special podcast event, Talking TV in a Pandemic. I am Julie Levin-Russo, member of the faculty at the Evergreen State College, and I'm thrilled to moderate today's conversation on the topic of pedagogy. Thank you to the esteemed organizers of this series, Brandy Monk-Payton, Lynn Joyrich, and Hunter Hargraves for the invitation. We're grateful for the support of the AkaMedia podcast's sponsored by the Society for Cinema and Media Studies and the Journal of Cinema and Media Studies in making this project possible. I appreciate the organizers' directness about how the topics and themes of the Talking TV in a Pandemic series continue to evolve in relation to emergent events. Many of us have felt a very material impact connected to today's theme, pedagogy, as we abruptly transitioned our classes to an online format when higher ed institutions closed in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. We might also consider more generally how we teach about the highly mediated experience of COVID-19 and its contexts of systemic racism, state violence, class inequality, economic crisis and democratic collapse, as well as what television teaches us for better or for worse about these overwhelming events. I'm very excited to exchange ideas about how we as teachers and learners have been navigating these experiences. It gives me great pleasure now to introduce the four distinguished guests joining me for this conversation, who are in reverse alphabetical order, Jacinta Yanders, assistant professor of English at the College of DuPage.
1: Oh, nice, I'm never first. Hello.
0: Derek Compare, film and media arts at Southern Methodist University.
2: Great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Julia Himberg, Associate Professor of Film and Media Studies at Arizona State University. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for putting this together. And Bambi Hagen's Associate Professor of Film and Media Studies at UC Irvine.
3: Hello, great to be here and great to see all of
0: you. Fantastic. Um, well, welcome everyone. And thank you so much for being here and sharing your time with us today. I'd like to invite you to begin by telling us your experience of teaching TV in a pandemic.
3: This is Bambi. When I moved to UC Irvine, I did this, the biggest happy dance ever because I said, I'll never have to teach online again. <laughs> um, oh, sweet irony. I had the advantage of having been at ASU, so I taught online before but there's a different platform they were using. And, and so it was still, and, and this was my first quarterback after um, being off on medical leave for the better part of the year. So not only were my chops rusty, uh, they were rusty in relationship to teaching and online teaching. And I think it's really difficult to navigate the things that were going on, not just about COVID, but all the issues around protests and trying to give people a space to talk. But actually, during our last class meeting, I couldn't talk about it. I could not navigate it. It, it was like, OK, you have something set up. I know we're all dealing with this in every way we can. But in order for me to keep this glued together, we've got to stay on point because this has been hard. This quarter here has been hard. I mean, I know three people who've lost folks to the RONA and uh, I'm sure I'll know more. And so I guess the experience has been more utilitarian. I sort of feel like I was an information delivery unit not necessarily teacher this quarter. And I I don't really understand or know how I could have done it differently. I suppose we'll learn it. We'll find that out in the fall when we're still online. But this quarter was about all of us surviving. We could talk about different pedagogical tools that we used, but I think everybody was just trying to get through their semester or their quarter because none of this is a joke I have a compromised respiratory system so I take the Rona pretty seriously and I see people being so cavalier and i that's one thing I did talk to my students about because you wear the mask not to protect yourself but to protect other people so it, it's It's definitely been, this transition um, has been uh, challenging.
0: Did that maybe resonate with anyone else's experience or did you have a contrasting experience?
2: I like what what Bambi said about uh, just surviving and just trying to keep things going. You know, we were just sort of launched into this in in mid-March and... I'm at an institution SMU, which does not have a robust online presence. Has never had. Uh, we're well, well behind the curve on that because we're very brick and mortar. Um, obviously, we've been using online learning platforms um, like Canvas, but uh, for our day to day. So it was a it was an adjustment, and I decided early on to, like Bambi said, information delivery. I mean, kind of like that, but more of like a therapy sort of thing, so that. I decided that the class was going to be continuing what we were doing, which was on the business of television today. Um, But really, uh, a good chunk of that was just sort of checking in with them every class session, seeing how they're doing and how how they're adjusting and what's going on at home and and those sorts of things and really just trying to look out for them as students and their welfare. And one thing I found was that, uh, and we could probably all resonate with this too, was that any kind of issues or personalities or whatever that was in place before this, was kind of exacerbated uh, and amplified uh, by the pandemic. And so students who were already kind of quiet uh, and maybe withdrawn even a little bit were much more so uh, when we went to this situation. Uh, I did have one student who was very social and very outgoing. And unfortunately, his home life, uh, he was pretty much on his own. And so he was very down because he was very much an extrovert and he didn't really have an outlet for that. And so I would stick around to talk to him Um, he's one of my advisees as well. And so I would talk to him and just try to to check in with him and see how he's doing. But so it was, it was a combination of, we're going to keep doing what we're doing. Um, but at like ratcheted down a few notches to what it would be, uh, because of the experience of this. And I think that was, that was the message. I think that was amplified across a lot of social media amongst, uh, teachers, uh, and faculty of just like, let's not make the demands too intensive let's just keep doing what we're doing so we're learning something and obviously getting something out of that and having some standards but really it is about let's just kind of keep people moving and keep people uh, you know use it as an outlet to to talk to each other basically and to check in with each other and uh see what we're about and all this and i found that to be the most useful part of that at least in the spring, at least in triage mode, going into the fall is probably going to be a bit different. But uh, at least in the spring, that was my approach.
4: This is Julia. Um, I actually wasn't teaching in the spring, um, by chance, I was supervising some independent studies, which turned into kind of weekly check ins, where um, we talked mostly about how they were coping and managing more so than about the topic of the independent study, which I was happy to do and just support them however I could. Um, but because of that, I also have been just mostly focused on the fall because I'm teaching a course that Bambi actually brought to ASU on television and cultural studies. And I've just been thinking about, you know, what is that going to look like in a different mode? Because as Bambi also alluded to, ASU has for a long time had a really robust online program. We have an online major, we have an online master's program in film and media studies. And so on the one hand, we know how to do that and we're learning how to do it better and better. On the other hand, this kind of hybrid um, teaching model that's more synchronous based, uh, that is because the online world is so much about the importance of how it's asynchronous so that students across the globe, based on their own responsibilities and schedules, right, can can attend the class. But in this kind of expectation of a synchronous experience, that really changes. And I'm not sure necessarily how to do that well. So I've been trying to think about what would that look like, where I'm looking at how do I incorporate changes, right, and impact of the pandemic as well as the protests into the course, but also kind of striking this balance where I maintain the course integrity, right, while really trying to remain also realistic about how these circumstances have impacted my students and our learning environment itself. I'm not really sure I have answers yet, but that's how I'm
1: kind of framing my thinking about it at least. Uh, Jacinta here. Um, So first off, I teach at a community college. And while students at all sorts of institutions have complex home lives and, and work and things like that, particularly at a community college, you know, most of my students work and or have um, family responsibilities and not just work but work full-time work overnight I have students coming to my class after doing the night shift at Amazon like things like that right Um, so students in the spring semester who were already sort of on the edge um, some of them like disappeared completely and some of them I was able to get to come back but but a few, I think, really got lost in the shuffle of just like the weight of everything um, that was going on in their lives. And I don't really consider what we did in the spring semester online teaching because I've taught online before. And that was mostly just trying to keep all of us from drowning um, under the weight of everything. So I scaled back my classes significantly, both for them and for me. That first week when my class, you know, or my institution decided that we would be uh, online or for the remainder of the semester, it was about two weeks before our spring break. And that first week I was just exhausted, just literally exhausted, laid out on the couch, and not for any particular reason, just like the buildup of everything was a lot. And so that's, the spring semester was what it was. Um, I was already scheduled to teach summer classes though, um, and those were initially supposed to be face-to-face, but because of everything, we ended up converting those to online as well. And that, you know, for me was much more uh, efficient to manage because that gave me time to plan my classes started like two weeks ago. So I had you know all that time in May to plan out the classes and prepare for an online situation like I would have liked to have done in the spring semester. And so that's been going fine in terms of like the setup for these classes, I think has been working much better. Um, the flow is better. The pacing is better. Everything's going mostly fine. The students are seem to be handling everything well for the most part. But then right as we're starting, <laughs> all these, you know, the protests happen and and all this starts going again. And unfortunately I've had to teach during this kind of thing multiple times since I've been teaching. And so dealing with that uh was definitely some added stress um in this past week. Like I could literally feel the anxiety building up again while all that started going on. So It's been varied. Um, Like I said, I think the classes are going fine. Um, My students have definitely, I mean, the way that I approach setting up my classes at beginning of semester, I always try to make it a very open situation so that students can talk to me. So I've had a lot of students in my summer classes send me emails um, about their mental health and things like that. And so we talk about things. I sent them stuff about self-care and I try to keep that very open lines of communication. Um, And they at least my students seem to really respond positively to that.
0: Yeah, it's really moving to hear people's stories about how the role of being a faculty member is sort of transformed right now because of these extreme needs that all of us have um, in this moment and kind of how people are, are navigating it. Uh, I wanted to maybe talk a little bit about this specifically in relation to teaching media What are some kind of intersections between just the the circumstances we find ourselves in of having so much of our everyday life be mediated or virtualized? And we have with other people who aren't in our our quarantine circle happening through Zoom or other technology, um, including our students, Uh, and then what the dynamic is between that and the material we're teaching, uh, is it an advantage or is it a challenge in some ways to be looking at material that's already mediated, televised, or online in some way, as we're also experiencing that kind of taking that virtualization taking over our everyday life.
2: One thing I try to do in my classes even before this uh, all the time was really make our students uh, think about the hardware and software and platforms and distribution networks and everything that they're using. And uh, this was another opportunity to basically do that and and think about that. And so, in a pedagogic way, just sort of to get them to think about, well, we're using these to access our media in general, and we were often, you know, a lot of our students are uh, just on laptops or just on devices for accessing television anyway. And so it became an opportunity to think about well now we're having to take this other step of do this for the normal face to face interactions which we would usually have, and all these technologies we were already sort of using to to certain degrees you know whether it's FaceTime or YouTube videos and things like this but to do it to the degree that we're doing it now and realize a reliance on that uh, has been an interesting reflection and also a good teaching opportunity about that. So we did everything you know as banal as what it's like to launch a streaming platform during this, as uh, with examples of uh, Quibi and, and HBO Max. Um, you know, We would sort of game that out since it was a business of TV class to thinking about the business of Zoom and uh, the politics of, of uh, an organization like that and, and what they need. And also in a more radical sense, the fact of uh, uh, the digital divide and, and the big massive gaps in broadband. Uh, that this uh, reliance on these networks is really, you know, laid bare. And so routinely students would have issues with with their Wi-Fi or with their network support they would have. We would talk about that. We would talk about what it's like to uh, share the bandwidth at home. Oftentimes, as it was when I was teaching my uh, my children, both teenagers were also online in their classes too, sometimes at the same time. And so we have to give each other heads up about that. So it was really kind of an awareness of how we're using this technology and we can't just take it for granted. Um, and so just to make the students aware of that in their media environment and, and about what that all entails and that these technologies and everything that they brought us are the result of, of choices and resources and infrastructure and everything. And, and uh, I found that to be valuable and I think they did too.
1: Uh, one of the classes I taught in the spring was, a digital media class um, and it was a small class so we got to know each other pretty well. Um, And it's a pretty broad sort of description class so you can do kind of whatever you want in it, in terms of working with digital media. So the theme for my class for the spring semester was hashtag justice. Um, so we were studying, you know, how digital media has sort of intersected with protests and social justice and movements and all this sort of stuff. Um, looking primarily at things, you know, from the previous, you know, the past several years. Um, when I set up that course theme, I was not expecting like another massive round of protest to kick off this year, Um, but here we are. Um, And so we studied, you know, all the things that are, you know, relevant right now, including, you know, social media, spreading information. Privacy, ownership, censorship—all those sorts of things that we might think about with the platforms and the media uh, that they're interacting with, um, including TikTok, which has uh, played a big role this year as well, um, both for our preservation of sanity, but also <laughs> for spreading news in some capacities. And that so that class was in the spring semester and it ended, um, and within the last couple weeks. I've gotten emails from two students from that class who've ta- told me how much that information from that class has been beneficial because of everything that's been happening in these past couple weeks and how it's helped them to be able to reach out to their friends and family and things like that and, and share important information and follow everything that's going on, um, which I think is one of those signals that we get of. The importance of things that we're teaching them about media, which we don't always necessarily get um, that concrete uh, reminder. Um, And so that was really useful to hear from them while all this was going on as well.
4: I've been thinking about how kind of amazing it is to teach TV right now, in particular. Um, And there are sort of a few reasons for that. And again, these are some of the things that I think I've been trying to consider and what I would either modify for the course that I usually teach on television and cultural studies. And I think one of them is the ways that this has centered news in a way that I will probably make it a larger focus of the class than I typically have in the past. Like Derek, I was really interested in what free means in the context of TV today, Um, you know, with everything from networks um, and platforms making all these programs, you know, whether that's The Wire, Little America, um, new content like these concerts that have aired, or movies, right, like Just Mercy, that they're making available for free, I think raises some really good conversations about access, um, both to visible and invisible structures of cost in TV. And maybe even kind of more interestingly is to look at what titles are being made available. I think it's just this kind of like delicious teaching resource for how the industry thinks about audiences, PR, what people should see based really on ideological positions. Um, I've also been interested in the cancellation of crime shows like cops, live PD, and this sort of larger conversation about the role of crime shows. And I think the other thing I've been wanting to focus on in the fall is the ways in which the protests have brought up the idea of intersectionality, or I think foregrounded it in a way that provides this really great entry point for kind of interrogating how true that is in terms of what gets represented, who gets represented, um, and sort of have helping students evaluate the ways that we're seeing that live, right, play out in kind of maybe more provocative ways um, than I've been able to kind of bring into the classroom. I also to the point about the sort of visualization of everything in this kind of ways in which we're just surrounded by screens all the time. I actually would like to do synchronous screenings with students in a way that We don't actually often do that anymore. They sort of eliminated screening, separate screening times in our on-ground classes um, a few years ago. And so I'd actually like to do that as a way to, I hope have a discussion about what we watch and the reactions because I'm always really interested in the moments when students as a group laugh, right, or have a response um, that they may have by themselves, they may not have by themselves, um, but just to use those as um, beginning points at least for a discussion about what we're watching. So I'm kind of hoping that that could be a strategy that might help us have some live conversations in a way that I'm not sure I could do without the classroom. Well,
3: one of the things that often occurs to me and that I still stress is that television, whether it's streaming, whether it's cable, whether it's network is a commercial medium. And so thinking about how even these strategies of being magnanimous about race, They're calculated and looking at what what ideological agenda is being brought to something. Well, it's just funny. (laughs) You know, you hear that phrase or, um, well, it's just telling this story. Well, why did it choose to tell this story? Part of teaching television is always trying to to see what baggage individuals bring to the viewing. What I'm seeing and what you're seeing may be totally different things. And I'm sorry, I'm just a little bit bitter at the discovery of intersectionality right now. But there are ways of talking about that. And sometimes it has nothing to do with what's going on in class. Television has always been this really remarkable medium to teach about because it is a domestic medium. Even, you know, how more domestic does it get than this? Uh, I'm holding up my phone right now. That you're carrying your media with you. And it, it's staggering at times. You can't watch everything, nor do you want to. I do admit that I got Quibi because I felt like I had to. And I think I have every streaming service known to men. But I think it's about being aware of what they're engaged with, being understanding what their relationship to media is. 20 years from now, people are going to watch folks on TikTok doing the George Floyd challenge and be horrified in the same way that We are horrified by watching the picnics at the lynchings. And there are horrifying ways that media can be used, and there are incredibly redeeming and life-affirming ways it can be used. But it's a tool. It's an economic tool, and it's an ideological tool. And it's a creative product. So it's all of those things at the same time, but you've got to recognize the impact of each of these, and how this moment, the moment we're in, is incredibly difficult for them, and it's incredibly difficult for us. You know, I literally have talked to students, asked people to stay on Zoom afterwards because of the looks on their faces, because they're barely holding it together. People have to stay okay long enough to learn. And I think it was really important what, what Julia said and what Jacinta said and, and Derek all about how the stu- having that connection with the students that they feel comfortable enough to, to talk to you. Um, that's tough. You got to work at that.
4: I would just want to jump in here to say that, um, Bambi, I completely agree with your outrage about the sort of sudden discovery of intersectionality. Um, I also am always fascinated when something seems to become mainstream, quote unquote, right, and that that's a great moment to talk with students about it. So um, I sort of think of it as useful in that sense. But you also talked about the environment of being at home or whatever that means for a student, right? But wherever they've been quarantined. So I've been thinking about what's an online version of creating a sort of safe and open environment for the kinds of discussions that we have in our classes, right, on media and thinking about social identity and social change. And I've been thinking about one of the things I've learned in what I've learned about online teaching is the importance of making students active in the process so that they aren't sitting there just taking in lectures um, or sort of being pushed onto a discussion board that maybe they're interacting with and gaining from, but maybe not. And one of the things that I was thinking was of having them come up with a recommended viewing list of their own, like what? For them, from where they are positioned, do they think others should watch? And you know that it can include bringing clips um, to the discussion, um, to the class itself, to share with people. Um, but because a lot of the assignments I do in in television courses, have to do with sort of reflective journal assignments that ask them to think about their own identities and ask them to think about how television has informed those identities, where they have and haven't seen themselves reflected. And I feel like there are ways to kind of extend that and use those sort of personal experiences to try to get them to think about what's happening right now. I don't think all of them want to necessarily, right? They want to come to school and maybe think about something else. Um, But I think there are really great ways we can make it about what's happening and make students sort of active in this learning process, especially when it's remote and when they may not be in an environment where they typically learn or where they want to learn or where they feel safe to learn. So I would just say that I'm, I'm trying to think about that and to think about how you know the stay-at-home orders and ideas about being in a safe space for your health also, of course, dovetail with the history of television and um, Bambi, what you mentioned in terms of television's domesticity and ideas of intimacy, because I still think people have quite personal relationships to television.
1: You two mentioning um, the discovery of intersectionality reminded me of something that if I were teaching my digital media class right now, um, we would be exploring some of these um, posts that have come from companies in the past several weeks. Um, And the one that you all just may pop them ahead was from Hulu, who made the decision to move the premiere of Love, Victor from June 19th to June 17th because they realized that June 19th is Juneteenth, which I guess they just figured out was an important historical day in 2020. I don't really know, but that one actually made me laugh um, out of all of the brand postings that have come in the past few weeks, some much better than others. I am careful about trying to bring too much trauma into the classroom while it's happening. Um, I did a little bit about the pandemic in my writing class in the spring, but I don't want to overload them with things. But these sort of brand postings would definitely be the kind of thing where we would look at them and try to figure out what are they doing right now? Like, was anybody really going to be off put by love Victor premiering on Juneteenth? I don't think so. Mm, Hulu, but okay, I, I see you. Yeah, I've been thinking, this is Julie, I've been thinking while you were
0: talking about what it's what's so exciting about being a media faculty and being able to kind of bring into the classroom these very current, very relevant events, but also how difficult that can be when those media events that may be actively a source of trauma Um, And then if you add to that being in this on like online space that can be very strange and alienating um, and trying to figure out how to scaffold meaningful conversations about really sensitive and politicized issues like race, identity, oppression while we're in Zoom um, or in a forum um, and sort of the skills that that requires of teachers, but also the skills it requires of students. That may, fee, uh, may be unfamiliar, except from the media itself, the kind of audiovisual media they're consuming and the social media where they're engaging in discussions. And that was for me teaching online for the first time this past quarter really unexpected source of challenges of like, how do you do the, the moderation within Zoom or within asynchronous discussions, even to help students have nuanced, respectful conversations about these highly fascinating, but also highly activated and deeply felt topics. Um, And so I'm continuing to think about that because I am in the fall going to be teaching online again um, and possibly going forward. And so I wanted to ask you all, what does this look like for you in summer quarter or fall quarter or semester, um, both in terms of your teaching. I think we touched on that a little bit, but also in terms of your institutions. This is a potentially watershed crisis of higher education in the U.S., and it's it's having this really drastic impact, I think, on a lot of our universities and colleges where we teach. So I'm curious kind of what, what that looks like, how you're approaching this ongoing process of pandemics in planning your classes, but also what what does this look like for the field of media studies and higher education? Do you have any predictions for the future or strategies we
1: should be thinking about? In terms of what I've been doing in my summer classes, like with the conversation and things like that, in the past when I've done online classes I've used you know, discussion boards like other people have probably done, and you know how that goes. It's it it, it it's a mixed bag, right? Um, so this summer, we're using a couple different things. Um, They're writing in blogs and doing some other assignments. But we're doing also um, using Flipgrid, which is a video tool where they can record video responses to prompts and things like that and share with each other and respond to each other. And so that's been really helpful, I think, to sort of move beyond the sort of staleness that discussion boards can have a little bit. And so in my syllabi, I always have like community guidelines and um, classroom environment policies and things like that about you know the respect that we want in the classroom respecting people's names and pronouns and all that kind of stuff like that's always been in my syllabi but I expanded on it for the syllabi for the summer because I said and I explained to them why I, was, I said you know we're teaching online being online sometimes makes people act ridiculous because there are devices between them I don't want you to do that and remember to, you know, respect each other when you're responding to each other. Be thoughtful. You can disagree, but be reasonable in your responses. And so that's in the syllabus. And then. When I put the prompts up each week where they do have to respond to each other or ask each other questions, I do include a little reminder to be respectful of one another in your engagements. And so far, I mean, we're only three weeks in, but so far so good. Um, Like a question came up with one of the movies we watched last week about characters that were using the N word in the movie that weren't black and like thoughts about that. Um, And I haven't listened to all their responses, but um, they, as far as I could tell, have, were very good and respectful of each other in that conversation and thoughtful about how they're responding to that. So that's mostly what I've been doing on that front. And then in terms of sort of the bigger picture of media studies and online education, I'm teaching so I'm teaching two film classes right now. Um, and those are for me at least, have been fairly manageable online with the various free resources that are available. We were doing in-class screenings for my film class in the spring, so we had to pivot to some free online stuff. So that's been mostly manageable for me to cobble together. And then for some of the, I might have them buy one or two things, like in my intro to film class, they have to buy one movie this semester, so on and so forth. In the fall, though, I'm teaching a TV class, and that I feel is a little bit more unwieldy with. Particularly the free streaming services, but even the paid streaming services in any individual one trying to sort of get the sort of encapsulation that you might want of TV in one of them is a little bit ridiculous. And obviously I'm not going to have them subscribe to like CBS All Access and the CW Seed and all these other small channel ones because nobody has the time money or effort for that so that's a little bit more of a challenge that I'm thinking about right now is figuring out what I'm going to do for the tv part specifically more so than the film classes I've taught
3: and that's a challenge of teaching tv you know it used to be that students would mention a show they wanted to write on because I always give them the choice for their final paper and I used to if I did not watched it I knew it. I already knew of it. That has disappeared. Any other thoughts about what the future
0: of teaching TV in a pandemic in higher education looks like right now?
2: I'm a department chair, and so my future, our future is really uncertain right now just because we don't know exactly what our fall situation is going to be. We've had broad kind of indications about what that is. We are going to be back on campus, uh, but they have yet to determine physically what that means in classrooms, even which what size classrooms are going to be online and how they're going to be distributed and, and so forth. So we're all kind of in a holding pattern right now. So my sense of the future right now is a little bit frustrated because it, it's cloudy. And, and all of our faculty, we kind of know that we're just sort of in a holding pattern, knowing that we have classes, knowing that we've got the students in the classes, but we really don't have a concrete sense yet of what form that's going to be. And understand these are challenging times, obviously, for the people that physically you know, need to make these plans and everything, the facilities and everything. And, and I, I totally get that in the economics of, of higher education. And I think we're just going to have to get used to that and, and, and understand that going forward, uh, similar sorts of things in terms of, of resources being allocated in terms of what we have access to. Julia mentioned uh, at ASU they did away with screenings in person. Uh, and I know we've we've dabbled with that here, but I know some of my faculty, you know, over their dead bodies. They would, they would not have screenings in person. Uh, they've, they've had to do it this semester, obviously, this past semester because of that. So those are the sorts of discussions, I think, going forward that we're going to continue to have. And, and again, it's going to be uh, different discussions at different places in, in some ways. But I think the, the larger question about media studies overall is if we can articulate our goals as serving the creation of media artists and media citizens. And link that to broader goals of education really effectively. I think we're at our most effective when we do that. I think we're at our least effective when we seem to be pursuing uh, cul-de-sacs and narrow sorts of channels that are uh, alienating to outsiders. And so I think we really need to Uh, think of ourselves as teachers first and foremost and the research kind of outgrowing from that and serving the wider community uh in related ways i think we also need to think about partnerships we can make with neighboring disciplines and neighboring departments and neighboring centers and such not only in our schools but in our communities because i think that helps not only to our own vitality and, and ability to to keep going and, and do what we do, but also to to grow and to change and to make these connections and make these vital connections in places. Uh, and it's difficult. It's difficult work to be able to do that, particularly particularly to connect what we do to, to locality and locale in interesting ways. I've always been interested in that, but that's a really, really hard thing to do, to do that on the ground. The, the people that are able to do that really, really well, I'm envious of that. But even... Even in just connecting to different departments and neighboring kinds of things uh, could be very, very valuable to what we're doing and basically make sure that what we're trying to do and what we're connecting to do is, is, is increasing, is, uh, is helping more people and more students uh, understand the media world um, because it's not getting any less mediated at all. And I think uh, because of that, what we're, what we're doing is vital, but we just need to be able to connect that and, and help other people understand that as well.
4: Yeah, this is Julia. I would also just add that I was drawn to this field to begin with because, you know, what we do in this media-saturated world is a form of literacy, right, that we offer, whether that's through research, whether that's through our teaching, and now seems like an even more urgent moment um, for the skills and knowledge that we have to be useful both in higher education, I might even think even in terms of some of the ways that higher education frames what it is doing publicly, right, sort of outwardly facing. And I also think maybe on a slightly smaller scale within higher ed, we do need to be thinking about teaching online well, And I think that requires investment from universities. This year, for example, we hired a director of online teaching who has been, frankly, transformative in faculty's understanding of how to teach online effectively. And to not think, for example, sort of how do I replicate the on-ground model, I actually have come to sort of think we flatter ourselves to think that when we stand there and talk with students for 45 minutes that all of them are absorbing every word that we say, right? Um, I think that they're doing a lot of other things, whether in their head or on their devices, but I think there are really interesting ways to do online well. And I do think we have to think about it because even post pandemic, I think a lot of places that feel now behind in the online teaching world are really going to use this as their moment to invest in that and get caught up. And so I do think higher ed can be thinking about that conversation, not to say it is the way we need to go, but that I think for more and more institutions, it will be a part of
3: how we teach. I also think it's important to articulate that media studies is a field because apparently the press doesn't know that. Um, And so I, I think part of this idea of media literacy is to say media studies is a field that gives you tools for media literacy. And I think the issue of citizenship is a a very important one. And And I also think that we have to recognize that this online period is going to change the way every university looks. There's no going back to this not being a clear option. I have learned that there are some people for whom online learning is the best way. My niece is doing her master's in informatics online through a program in British Columbia. And that works really well for her. I can't wrap my head around it because that it's the interaction that is so important to me. And we have to change just as the discipline is changing as well, but I think I'm afraid of us doing this too well because MOOCs scare the heck out of me. And also, you know, different details about who owns your work, whether you own your intellectual property for courses that you create online. You know, all of that's fairly, is important, but we have to think about ourselves, as Derek said, as teachers first. And I've always thought of myself that way. I'm a teacher who happens to do scholarship, not a scholar who happens to teach. That means you got to change. You know, I did the math um, a couple of days ago, and I have been teaching for longer than some of you have been alive. Um <laughs> Besides feeling like, oh, my God, when can I retire? Um, <laughs> actually, I, you know, I'm going to die in the classroom. That's no question. Um, but it made me think about how many times, how many different tools that I've been given as a teacher to improve, to make it more feasible for students. And I think television studies is really good about recognizing teaching as well as scholarship.
0: Um, My hope for higher ed is that we can, in this moment of transformation, hang on to this sort of overlap between the liberal arts model of kind of fundamental, critical skills um, to be thinkers and citizens and students needs to survive in a really precarious world um, and to be career oriented and to have access to education that that works with their really complicated lives, which is something that online learning often can serve. Um, And I think that media studies is potentially an intersection between those things because we both can offer these kind of critical skills for understanding the world and be something students see as a set of um, skills that's going to serve them in being successful um, in the world. And so I think it feels like a very uh, challenging moment for higher ed, but also a moment of possibility if we kind of figure out how to talk about and manifest some of these potentials. So on that note, I would like to conclude. I extend my Deepest thanks again to Jacinta Yanders, Derek Compare, Julia Himberg, and Bambi Hagens for sharing your illuminating perspectives with us today. On behalf of the series organizers, Brandy Monk-Payton, Lynn Joyrich, and Hunter Hargraves, I also want to thank our sponsors, the AcaMedia podcast, SCMS, the Department of Communication at Denison University, and the College of Arts and Letters at the University of Notre Dame, as well as the intrepid Chris Becker and Bill Kirkpatrick for all their help with recording and editing, and Todd Thompson for providing the music and post-production for this podcast. This episode concludes the five-episode series, Talking TV in a Pandemic, but we invite you to look out for a final podcast from the organizers, as well as potential bonus episodes. Keep the conversation going on Acamedia's Media's Facebook group or on Twitter using the hashtag TalkTVInAPandemic. For any further questions about the project, you can email Talking Television in a Pandemic at gmail.com. Finally, to break the fourth wall, thank you for listening to this episode today. We hope you continue to tune in to ACA Media, the podcast that offers an academic perspective on media at acam media.org. That's acamedia.org. Thank you so much.